Welcome to the Texas Oil and Gas Podcast, the show dedicated to bring you the news from the oil patch deep in the heart of Texas, with your host, Ryan Ray and Josh Shelton. Welcome to the Texas Oil and Gas Podcast. We appreciate you tuning in to episode 30 today. I'm your host, Josh Shelton, with my friend and co-host, Ryan Ray. Ryan, what's up, buddy? You know, Josh, it's uh, we release this on Monday, but it's uh, it's Friday when we're recording it, and I'm I'm pretty tired today because, as you know, I went down to went down to Houston to watch my beloved Red Sox uh, get pounded. Yeah. I mean, pounded by the Astros with some uh, coworkers and clients yesterday, and drove back some of the way last night and got up early this morning and finished the drive on out. So uh, I'm I'm a little tired this morning, Josh. But other than other than that, I'm doing good. Oh man, well uh, I, I know we got uh, a busy busy Friday today. We got lots of stuff to cover and uh, some exciting stuff going on the next week, I believe. Well, we'll get into that in just a little bit. But uh, starting off, Ryan, some news in the Permian. We uh, we wanted to cover a few things. Uh, the first uh, article we have today is middle market growth and uh, another one from the Wall Street Journal. Uh, U.S. shale juggernaut shows signs of fatigue. Uh, Ryan, there was a lot of a lot of insightful things in that Wall Street Journal article. Yeah, you know this Wall Street Journal article. I, I know I shared it on uh, Twitter, and I saw a lot of people that I follow had shared it as well. And it, it kind of ties in with some of the stuff that you see from the middle market growth article as well. Is there's a, there's a big there's a big discussion going on right now in the oil and gas market, and and here's what it is, and I'll kind of break it down and. Uh, maybe towards the end of the year we can spend a little bit more time on on some of this and bring on some folks to kind of give their opinion. But really what you have is a couple things, Josh. First thing is there, there's a big debate right now over how accurate the EIA data is. So every week the EIA, uh, they release their, their information on the storage report and what's going on with that. And, you know, the oil price uh, on some level is affected by that. We've had on folks like Sergio and Blackman talk about that before. Well, Harold Hamm leads kind of a group, or is, is, I would say, maybe the unofficial spokesperson for the group that, that's saying that this data is off. Well, if that data is off, there's massive implications, and we can talk about that in a second. The, the second thing we're seeing is, is that analysts and hedge fund managers and big, 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 big people with big money are looking at these producers and saying, producers, historically how you've worked is if your company is growing, the CEO makes more money. Now, that doesn't mean that the company's more profitable. It just means that the company is growing. Um, and we kind of always just assume, you know, if you hear companies growing that they're making money. But that doesn't mean that's the case. Um, and so there's a pushback that says, hey, guess what? We want you guys to tie a CEO's compensation, his bonuses and things like that, to the company's uh, value. You know, are they increasing their value for the shareholders? And so you're seeing that. That's kind of the second push. Now, the third push is, as we talked about on the show before, you know, we have these prices and, you know, the market on some level is, it's, we're going to talk about it, I know, at the end of the show, but the market on some level, it's really stable. And what that's doing is um, it, it's kind of put some companies in some interesting spots because you have companies who, as we talked about before, you know, they're on cash. And so if you're on cash, you're operating a certain way. If you're not on cash, if you're on credit, you're operating a different way. And you're seeing now that companies are looking to go more towards cash, which means that, that that changes how they do things. One of the things they point out in the Wall Street Journal article, which was very very appropriate, it was that um, you know Pioneer takes a beating when uh, their second quarter reports come out because of just just a few a few things, um, and that's and that's because the analysts are, are really tough on them right now. On top of all that, Josh, you know we, we look at it, and we say okay, 
the margins are tighter than what they were two years ago. You have, um, you know, pressure from the outside, from Wall Street, if you will, saying, hey, CEOs, we don't want you to be uh, rapidly expanding. We want you to do better wells. And so you're looking at a, a potential um, to really change how the industry, at least from the production side, looks at itself moving forward. Now, back to this EIA data thing. Here's what's interesting about this. If, if this group is right, that the EIA data is off, what they're saying is, is that it's off in the sense of there's, there's less oil than what, they're, what, the, what the EIA is reporting. So at some point, we're going to step back and go, okay, well, wait a second. We thought this is how much oil was coming in, and it's not. Well, now we've got to, you know, the, the, price will, will, you know, the price will go up, right? Well, mm-hmm. if you see that Wall Street is telling these companies, hey, we want your CEO to be based upon uh, value, uh, return to the shareholder, not on growth, and 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 they, and, and the the producers take that and they go, you know what, let's go to cash so our stock prices don't take a beating. Well, well then the price shoots up, let's say to eighty bucks or ninety bucks, something like that. Well, all of a sudden, how will these producers respond? Because now they're on cash, which means they're not going to be able to go out and just ramp up production like they have historically, unless they go back to their old business model. So it's a very okay. interesting time right now. And I, and I think that, that I think there's a couple things here, and I'll wrap this up. And I'm kind of long winded, but I think a couple things are important. The EIA data thing, uh, I think you're going to see a lot of discussion on the internet over the next couple of months on this. And eventually, it'll be figured out if it was right or wrong. You know, I mean, the oil, it's either there or it's not there, right? So um, you're going to see a lot of talk about this, and at some point, we'll be able to, we'll be able to figure out if, if the EIA data, and on some level, let me say this, it's wrong, of course, uh, on some level. Everyone knows that, but it's how off is it is the question, and that's the debate. Um, but, but the other thing is... Um, you know, if so, if it is off and depends on when that is kind of resolved, and at the same time you have the push from Wall Street to move these CEOs to be uh, to, to have their compensation pushed in a different direction, you know, that's really going to be interesting to see how that plays itself out because it could play itself out in a way that uh, the prices shoot up and there's a lot of companies who now they're torn. Do they go back to their old way of doing business or not? So I think it's a very interesting discussion that's going on right now. I do think that regardless of the EIA data, you are going to see that the CEOs are going to go more towards um, being compensated off of profitability, you know, return to the shareholders, things like that, whereas historically it has been on an expansion and growth. So I do think that that's going to happen regardless of what the EIA data does, um, but it, it's just kind of an interesting storm that's brewing out there right now trying to figure out what's going to happen. Well, I think that's a good move if uh, if the CEOs start getting compensated based on that. I think it gives them motivation to try to watch the bottom line, uh, run things, uh, you know, run a tighter ship. Uh, uh, if you put somebody's pocketbook on the line, I think there's always a better performance, uh, typically. And you mentioned in the, you know, we talked a little bit about uh, the article that David Blackman uh, referenced last week on the show. Uh, the rig zone Permian Super Basin holds up to 3.3 trillion in untapped oil. Uh, you know, it's funny that we have that article alongside of this one from Middle Market Growth, which uh, one of the comments in the article says you're starting to hear people whisper about the underperformance of some whales, uh, specifically in the Permian, and he thinks that's just as big a theme, uh, you know, this quarter as any that some of these wells aren't producing as much as they were projected to and as much as they, uh, some of these drillers hoped that they would. So you have that and an article that talks about how much oil is still, still in the Permian. Um, 
you think there's there's a reason for that discrepancy, or is it just a matter of perspective? Yeah, I think it's I think it's obviously perspective on some level. Um, you know, anytime you're looking at at, any, at the oil price, for instance, if you look at people who analyze this, um, you know, there's we there's only so many factors that you can look at, um, and let's just say that you're looking at them all. Okay, so you're looking at all the factors. Well, each person has a has a preference on how they think things are important. So, you know, some people think that this is more important than that. Um, and so, you know, what, what, what we're seeing here is, is that as technology comes online and you're able to extract more of this oil, you, you do see that. Now, that, that doesn't mean that all the wells will perform at a high level, it, but, it, but it does mean that there is more oil that it can be extracted. And as David explained last week, um, you know, this isn't the end of the oil that we're going to find in the Permian. It's just that saying that right now we can actually pull this out the ground. So there's more oil in the ground um, but but the whales underperforming is an interesting thing there, and I'm curious, and he didn't reference it, if he was talking more about the pioneer type stuff where it was the oil to gas ratio was off, or if there's actually whales who are really underperforming in the sense of they're, 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 you know, there's just not as much in those particular spots. And then also you got to think, okay, well, this is kind of one of those things that's not really helpful in the sense of where are these whales at? Are they on the outskirts of the, of the formation, or are they right in the center? Mm-hmm. So, you know, um, you know it, 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 it's just one of those things where – yeah, you, you you read it and you go, okay, well, this is a you know a smart per I think it's a yeah smart smart guy here and um, knows a lot about what's going on, but but the answer just isn't quite enough for you to figure out uh, what exactly he's pointing to when he we mention some of these things because you know you can always say uh, well wells are underperforming at some point in time right that that's not it's just not quite enough information for us to be able to figure out where he's going with that yeah a little, little too general. Well, we have uh, a couple articles on the Eagleford. Uh, it's it's been a couple of big things coming out of there. Uh, we're going to get to uh, acquisition that took place earlier uh, this year that has come out. Uh, but before we do that, there's a uh, there's a great article uh, Chesapeake to benefit from new discovery below the Eagleford in South Texas. Um, this was, I think, a fascinating article about some of the discoveries. Uh, the first thing that really stood out to me was that Chesapeake uh, sold off, uh, I think, fifty five thousand net acres, and then they actually went back and reacquired it. Uh, do you ever see that, Ryan? Yeah, you know, it's one of those things that you, you do see it. Obviously, and it's interesting. Um, the article really doesn't break down, and, and we're talking about this offline. Uh, it's I would love to go back and research um, what they sold it for, what they bought it back for. You know, what what was the difference there? Did they make money just on the flip, if you will, buying and selling it? Um, but yeah, you, you know, you do see it from time to time. It's not it's not completely uncommon. It's one of those things though with Chesapeake because they've been so poorly ran over the years. You know, it's like oh boy, is this one of those things where Chesapeake undersold and overpaid? Um, you know, the, the the analysts are so so down on them right now that it's really tough. But this might be kind of the thing that they need to kind of get them back going. Um, I don't think it's enough to kind of pull them out of where they're at. But it could be something that you could sit back and go, okay, you know, give them the forward momentum. You know, sometimes, Josh, you know, you just need need to feel good about what's going on. And this might be a play that turns out for them in the long term to kind of get their momentum going. People, you know, we look at Chesapeake today, and unless you were really involved with them, um, you know, over the past decade – it's really hard to imagine how far they have fallen. You know, when, when we were working for them in the Haynesville, their stock was at like $62 a share. Um, and now it's trading at four, at the time it's recording, it's trading at four, a little over four bucks. And so, um, you know, the, so, so for them, any good news is good news, but um, it does look like it turned out to be good for them. I, I was curious, though, the article didn't break that down for us. Uh, what did they pay for it coming and going, you know? Yeah, yeah. And, and uh, looking at some of the discoveries they made, they actually found. Um, 
a area where there had been earthquakes, you know, uh, centuries ago that had created these these frack lines mm. that make drilling much cheaper and much more effective. Uh, and I think that was one of the reasons why they wanted to go back in and reacquire it. And they said, luckily, there was also some old volcanoes that had been erupting there that made the made the area just oil rich and easy to drill. Um, so it pretty pretty interesting pretty interesting stuff here. Yeah, and you know Chesapeake, uh, their Eagleford stuff is some of the better stuff they have. They don't have a lot of great stuff left. Um, they've sold off a lot or JV'd some some of the stuff off. So the, their Eagleford is kind of their, some of their better stuff. Um, you know, I, I, you know what's interesting, Josh, is I remember when I was in school, elementary school, um, that our teachers, you know, pulled up a map of the, the the fault lines of around the world, and I don't remember, you know, any except for like in you know California or whatever. It seems like now today, though, um, anytime you turn on the news, there's a fault line here and a fault line there. It, it, am I crazy, or is that how it was when we were in school that there was like you know three in the U.S. or something crazy like that? But now as we go along, it's there's more of these that that they're that they're discovering. Yeah, you know, when I look back, I remember, I remember there because I I lived in uh, Louisiana when I went to went to you know, elementary school. I remember there being one that ran along the Mississippi River that hadn't had any activity in a long time, and then it just seemed like there was just California and uh, and there's not many. Uh, so I, I had no idea there was one running through Texas. Right, and if you read some of these old gas stories, you will see that there's that, that uh, you know sometimes they, there's earthquakes and there. Are, uh, you know, attributed to fracking, and they'll go look. There's a little fault line there. I mean, they have earthquakes over in Dallas from time to time, and so you know, it's one of those things. I just, I know it's not oil and gas related, but just reading this article, like you point out, the old volcano, the the, the fault line, all that stuff. It's like I just remember in elementary school, uh, growing up in Louisiana, they're like, ah, you don't ever have to worry about an earthquake unless you live in California because, or you know, wherever the nearest one was, it was a long way away. And so now, as I've gotten older, I, it's one of those things. You know, I, maybe maybe need to get a geologist on the show to kind of help us. Did they discover these recently, or? Is it one of those things that the uh, elementary teacher just, you know, had a bad textbook on and, you know, you just got bad info? Yeah, yeah, that's, that's true. I mean, this one right here, uh, apparently they, nobody knew about it for, for years. So it's something they just discovered uh, here recently, I believe. But surely it's on a major fault line. They just, uh, I don't know. It's interesting. We would need an expert to hear clear some of this up. Yeah, so if you're a geologist and this is something that you study or know about, shoot me an email, Brian at globalenergymedia.com. Help educate us. This is something uh, that obviously is outside of my wheelhouse and Josh's wheelhouse. And so, uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, really, it's just one of those things. I, I, it's kind of, you know, third grade, fourth grade, whenever, whenever you learn about that stuff, I just remember that and kind of a little color-coded map and we had and don't remember much about it, but just that, you know, unless you're in California for the most part, hey, you know, don't have to worry about earthquakes and uh, and fault lines and so it's uh, it's one of those things, you know. I always use this with my kids: is that you know when you go to when you go to high school, uh, when you go to elementary school, they say that you can't, you know, you can't have a negative number, right? That's what they tell you. And then you get to high school, and you can't have negative numbers. So I don't know if it's one of those type of deals. They just said it, and then you're supposed to learn more later on. And I, I slept through class or something, probably. So <laughs> they never get around to it. Yeah, something. Well, we uh, we have. Uh, I mentioned acquisition earlier. Penn Virginia closes a two hundred five million dollar acquisition with. Devon. Yeah, yeah. And so, um, you know, this is one of the things that I thought was interesting, Josh, is I haven't followed Penn Virginia in a while. I know that they were doing a lot of stuff in the Marsalis uh, or the Utica, I can't remember, years back. And so I'm, I'm assuming it's the same PVR. Um, but um, I, I need to go look that up. But yeah, I, I saw this. Um, Devon's been in the news a lot um, lately. You know, we're always talking about them with Permian stuff. But to see that they did a, did a little bit of a swap here. So it kind of got me curious because. Uh, 
I, I do remember Penn Virginia uh, working pretty extensively up in the Northeast there for a while, and uh, I think they had they had some Eagle Fred assets and some Granite Walsh assets too. But um, I, I was I was kind of surprised to see this because I didn't realize that they had shifted their focus, um, or maybe back when I was working for them, their focus where there wasn't. Uh, Maybe they had more equal for focus than I realized at the time. So it did catch me a little bit off guard there to see this. All right. Well, uh, at Penn, Virginia, this acquisition took took place uh, pretty recently. Uh, it shows here that September 29th of 2017 uh, that they, they did the acquisition. And uh, hopefully they can, you know, if, if the oil stays you know, around 50 or a little above, they should have a, a good investment there. Yeah, and you see, Josh, one final thing before we move on is that they um, it looks like they got a little bit of credit here. So we, we've been talking about this whole push to cash and, and versus the credit line. It looks like they're going to expand their credit line a little bit to help with this acquisition. So be curious to see how that how that turns out for them as well. Well, last last piece on the Eagleford. We have uh, one last article from Rig Zone. Uh, the title is Congressman Oil and Gas Industry Needs a Better Narrative. Ryan, we touch on this uh at least once or twice a month, we, we talk about the the bad rap that the oil and gas industry gets uh, in the media. Um, it's portrayed as big corporations that uh, are polluting the earth. Um, and, and to some degree, I, I sometimes they have a point about the way things are done. But if you really look at it, uh, oil and gas industry, it's, I mean, it's how we live our life. It, it produces clean energy that allows us to live and thrive. Um, and one of the things he talks about in this is that the people in the oil and gas industry need to start using uh, more familiar terms, talking about it in ways that brings the reality of the oil and gas industry down to the everyday person uh, so that we can start talking about the importance of oil and gas in ways that everybody can understand and appreciate. Um, and, uh, you know, he's not talking necessarily about environmental things. He's more talking about laws and uh, rules and litigation uh, but overall I thought it was interesting and and I think uh, it's something that should happen in the next you know year or two yeah I mean I'm guessing that he, he must be a regular listener to the Texas on gas podcast and so we, we want to thank him for <laughs> tuning in um, but no I mean all kidding aside one of the things I said before Josh on here and anywhere else is that you know if you if you just turn on the news if you, if you remove your if you're a listener who's in the oil and gas industry, um, and you turn on Fox or MSNBC or CNBC or whatever, just watch the news about oil and gas as if you knew nothing about it. And that's kind of hard, but but watch it, and you will realize that it's very, it's not very, it's not it's very dehumanized because you're talking about oil price or maybe there's something going on, and you know it's big thematic ideas uh, or a stock or something like that, or it's terrible news. And so you know you know the, the it, it gets lost that there's people who are in the industry, um, who are getting paid to provide for their family. And these people are part of the American economy and all this. So you got that spot. And then you got the other side of it that kind of goes, like like's being pointed out here, is that um, you know, without oil and gas in, in the U.S., we, we just don't do anything. I mean, it's just, you know, we can't drive them down the road. Our houses aren't, you know, keeping us hot or cold. They can't be built. I mean, nothing, nothing happens in the U.S. Um, without oil and gas. And so... You, you, so as oil and gas professionals, people in the industry or the listeners who just like the industry or, and are supportive of it, you know, we, we've got to figure out how to message, message that in a way that people understand. And um, and so for me, uh, I've tried to to think about different ways of how, how do you do that? How do you make it very, very humanized, very something that, that touches on someone and you say, okay, hey, um, you know, this is important. And I, I will say this, one, one last thing. I was talking to a guy in California um, 
Tuesday, I think it was. And he told me that some of his friends in California, they don't, they kind of believe that they want to get rid of oil and gas altogether because it's bad and it's terrible and, and all this. And he goes, you know, they don't understand that without oil and gas, they can't drive their car. You know, this is some of the stuff I just mentioned. They don't understand it. So for them, they, 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 they literally don't understand that if you were to remove oil and gas from the equation, their, their life as they know it would basically end. You know, we'd be back in the cave ages on some level. Um, and so people don't understand that. And, and so that's part of our job. We want to be good messengers. We want to be good stewards of what we have. And as the article points out, uh, and we've said on the show, is we want to own our own faults. Like you said, Josh, sometimes they are right. Sometimes that we do do bad things, just like any other industry in the world does. And so we want to you know, say, you know what? Yeah, we, we messed up here. And so, um, so yeah, so I, I agree. It's, it's a problem that we've talked about with David and I think Sergio as well. I mean, you've talked about it. It's a, it's a very important issue that we have to make sure we get our message out. And, and we can't assume that everyone understands the oil and gas industry like we do, that they, that they understand all the interconnections that, that come out from the oil and gas industry. You have to presume on some level that, the, that, they, that they know a little bit, but they don't fully understand it. And so uh, one final thing, and, I'll, and I'll, I'll let you hop back in here, is you know, even if someone says, well, I got an electric car, well, how, does, how do they charge that car? You know, people don't understand that having an electric car, you're probably getting powered by a fossil fuel to charge that car. And so, yep. um, you know, we understand that we're in the business of oil and gas. And so we understand that people outside of it, they just think it, some people think they got an electric car. Well, all of a sudden now, um, fossil fuels drive the equation and they, and they just don't understand. So it, it's, it's, it's an education process and we have to do it where we're, where we're not, we're not being arrogant. We, we, we really want people to understand the importance of what we do. Yeah, And I agree. Uh, I think, uh, I think that's lost on, on most people. Uh, and that's one of the things that I've seen in conversations is that people are oblivious to the fact that electric cars are charged in some form or fashion by fossil fuels. That they're that would be that would be news news flash for for many of them. So, um, and and it's it's not a bad thing. It's just they need to know. If they knew that, then they wouldn't. They probably wouldn't be near as hard on it uh, because you know everything in our house from Wi-Fi, internet, cable. Uh, all these water companies that are providing clean water, a lot of this stuff is relying on energy to do that, energy that's provided by fossil fuels. Yeah, so it's, it's, it's energy to, to run it, and then all the stuff that we own was created with energy, which is powered by fossil fuels, and then a lot of the stuff that we own is also made, like it's the actual part of the product itself is you know from oil or something like that. Um, and so, yeah. it's, so, it, it's, so it's, it's, it's just everywhere. You can't escape it. And, uh, and, you know, and, and we all know this, um, as, as just as humans, it's easy to get, it's easy to throw a stone at something big and strong. If you, if you take, if you, if, if they come on today, uh, the commercial and said, let's tackle world poverty, everyone would go, ah, okay, world poverty, you can't, you can't do that. But no, what do they do? They showed you a picture of a small child in a country that's, that's very direct. It's very human. There it is. This child today needs you to support it with a cup of coffee or, or whatever the message goes. They make it very humanistic. If they said cure, cure uh, world hunger today, cure poverty today, we'd all go, ah, that's too big. The reverse is happening with oil and gas. Outsiders look at us as this big, huge entity. If it's a big, if it's a big faceless entity, you can throw stones at it, you can attack it, because you're not attacking anything. But we realize that inside that we are humans, we are real people, and, and what we do is very important. And we should be prideful about what we do. We should be glad that we are providing good things to people across the world. Agreed. Agreed. 
Well, last thing, Ron, we have uh, an article from Platts. Uh, this is Upstream Oil Gas Industry Sees Little Lasting Impacts from Hurricane Harvey. Um, we've, we've touched on this a few times. Uh, some of the big news uh, for me, the takeaway from the article was that after the, the hurricanes hit, that the oil prices – uh, they maintain uh, a pretty stable price uh, even after all that. And uh, we were talking off the show, Ron, and you mentioned that. Uh, that that indicates that the oil and gas industry and the prices are pretty stable for them not to be affected by something like that. Uh, everything's looking pretty stable. Uh, would, yeah. And that, yeah. No, absolutely. And so, I mean, I, I use this analogy a lot. You'll hear me use it a long time until it changes. If you just go back in history and you look, you know, especially the the early to mid two thousands, um, you would see headlines: oil prices skyrocket over fear that production might slow down. Might's the key word, or may, you know, something like that. Yeah. Um. And and, and today we have hurricanes that do hit and they do cause devastation. We have refineries that are going offline, and the price. I mean, it is changing a little a little bit, but it's not skyrocketing. Um, and we had the fear of production. You know, I can list other things. We had a pipeline in Nigeria blow up uh, last year, two years ago. I can't remember now. We've had things that, that could have sent the price skyrocketing in a volatile market. We're just not in a volatile market. And to be honest with you, Josh, unless this EIA data that we talked about earlier, unless that comes to fruition, it turns out that they are right about that. I, I just don't see anything in the near future that's going to um, that's going to really affect the price in, in a dramatic way. It looks like we're, we're good and we're stable. And we started this show out was it March, I believe? You know, that's what we've been saying is, you know, this is good. I mean, I, when I was talking to some clients yesterday. They were all saying that, you know, they're excited about 2018. Uh, they feel like it's going to be a good year. Everyone has the same story right now. They're saying, well, it's not 2014, but it's going to be good. And, and so, um, and then, okay, great. It's not 2013, not 2014, at least the first half of 2014. That, that's fine. It's going to be a good year next year. We have a good, stable market. Um, as long as people didn't don't go crazy on one end and try to drill drill it down or something like that, it looks like we're in a good, steady market, and that's a good thing for everyone. Those are jobs that you can count on because you have stability in the marketplace, and we said that for a while. And so I, I'm I'm happy to see it. Um, will it stay above 50 or not? You know, we could talk about that another time, but um, but but right now it's it's a very stable market. Well, I think uh, that wraps up the articles, Ryan. We are introducing the rig count back into. Uh, Back into the show, we are getting this information from Drilling Info. The U.S. rig count was at 1,009, which is the same as last week. Uh, we wanted to make a, a little note here, though. We were getting the, the rig count from Baker Hughes here recently, and uh, they, for one reason or another, we weren't able to pull that information before we record our show on Friday. So we stopped. Uh, we stopped with the rig count. Uh, I did check it just uh, out of curiosity this morning, and there is a discrepancy there. So these numbers are different from the Baker Hughes. So uh, with that with that known, uh, the drilling info has the rig count uh, today at 1,009. And, Ryan, we have a couple of events, or at least yeah, one yeah, event coming up. Real quick, Josh. Me, hey, real quick, before, before we move on, let me hop in there and, and just kind of say a couple things I, I, I forgot to say we need to mention is one, we are not saying that Baker Hughes or, or Drilling Info is one way better or other than the other on uh, the rig count. We're just saying that Baker Hughes just doesn't update it by the time we do our show. So that, that's that's yep. the first thing. Um, there is a discrepancy. If you're curious of how um, Drilling Info does it, we did have on Alan Gilmore on episode 23. So you can go and check him out and kind of listen. He talks a little bit about how they do it and some of the difference between them and Baker Hughes. Uh, as far as the Texas Oil and Gas podcast is concerned, 
if Baker Hughes would release their numbers by the time we record our show, we'd put them both out there. So we don't. It's not. Uh, we're not getting paid by someone. There's no, no endorsement. We're not saying one's better than the other, but we are saying that there is a difference. And uh, and I meant to mention that we needed. To, if you're curious about that, episode 23 of our show, Alan Gilmore from Drilling Info kind of kind of broke down a little bit about how they do that. Yeah, that's cool. That's cool. Yeah, there, there wasn't any preference. Uh, the the rig count on uh, the Baker Hughes, and I was doing it. They had an interactive map where you could pull it up by state, by mm-hmm. by region. Yeah, that's great. I love that. Yeah. yeah, I loved it. Yeah, so it was really good. So the the drilling info, uh, they didn't have that sort of uh, interactive interface on there, or at least not for free. So uh, we we were, we we're using them strictly because of, of time constraints and being able to. Get it, get the information in before we record. And if they want to sponsor us, either side, Baker Hughes or Drilling Info, that's Ryan at GlobalEnergyMedia.com. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, give me a call. Yeah, yeah, we, we we can have a dog in the hunt, but we just currently don't. So yeah, that's right. Well, we have uh, we were talking off offline, Ryan. You have uh, a conference coming up next week in San Antonio, the SPE uh, conference, and uh, a couple other things. Yeah, yeah, it's a uh, it's a busy week. You know, I mentioned I was going to uh, I was down at. Um, you know, Houston yesterday, leave for San Antonio Sunday. We'll be at the uh, the SPE event we had on um, folks from from them, uh, what, last week, Josh? Two weeks ago we had folks on, no, I think it was two weeks ago from the SPE, promoting that event. Um, so the Society, Society for Petroleum Engineers, if you're in San Antonio, it's the 9th through the 11th. They have some technical stuff that goes on, I think, on uh, Saturday and Sunday. I won't be involved in any of that, but I will be there. In and around the 9th through the 11th, I think Sergio Chapa mentioned that he might squeeze in there a little bit. And I think Mark LaCour uh, from uh, the, the Oil and Gas Global Network will be there uh, as well. I'm not sure what days Mark will be there, though. You have to reach out to him for that. So there will be some folks like myself that, that are in the media that will be there. Uh, and then be back in Houston uh, the rest of the week, Josh, man, just meeting with clients and uh, you know working on stuff for, for 2018. And then closing the week out, it's going to be tough, but... Uh, uh, there's some redfish that need that have my name on it. <laughs> so next Saturday I will be in Galveston fishing if you want to go fishing in Galveston next Saturday. Um, so, yeah, it's a busy week all, all over the place, San Antonio to Houston, and then uh, doing a little bit of fishing, man, to close it out and kind of uh, get out and relax a little bit. All right, man. Well, good luck on the fish, man. Uh, if you catch a few, you feel like – Filleting me some fish, yeah. send them my way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Watch for that FedEx uh, package. <laughs> Just uh, be sure to stand by your door. It's coming. And so, uh, but look, look forward to it. Uh, if you're in San Antonio again, um, let me know. Ryan at GlobalEnergyMedia.com or Twitter at Ryan Ray Senior. I'm always on there uh, poking around, so you can shoot me a tweet. And I would love to catch up with you and meet with you if you're in San Antonio. And um, also, one final thing before I let you guys go today, the Oil & Gas Market Recap um, is a show that comes out every Friday with myself and Alfonso Colombano. We kind of go in and look at the market, kind of recap what happened as far as um, the price, what affected the price, and uh, we take a look at you know companies, uh, maybe one or two companies a week, and kind of break them down at a high level. So if that stuff interests you, the Oil & Gas Market Recap, it comes out, it's recorded on Friday, and we release it on Friday afternoon, so it will be out uh, by the time you hear this podcast on Monday. So if that kind of stuff interests you, we'd love to uh, get your thoughts on it and feedback. And finally, if you could, leave, leave us a rating in iTunes. We really appreciate it. We are now in iHeartRadio. That's really big for the show. It expands our reach. And so thank you guys uh, because we have we have such a growing listener base. They, they accepted us, so we were excited for that. Uh, until next time, keep climbing. 